Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. My God, I'm never going to give up. I, you, you, Chris, you can have Public Enemy back as my opening theme when you pry it from my cold dead hands. From 2012, that's harder than you think. By P.E. This century. And they're still putting out great music. I'm John Fugel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. So glad to have you with us. We are at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. We have a, oh my God, we have a good show tonight. I mean, I always say that. And I, I you know. I never mean it. I, I, I have to say it. It's part of the contract I have, you know, but I, I never mean it. But tonight, oh, ooh, tonight, uh, this show is jam packed with people who are smarter than me, more moral than me and more attractive than me. Now, that's not hard. But tonight, man, David Korn is back on the show. One of my favorite political writers in the world. One of my favorite TV news pundits in the world. Last year, he joined us with his book, American Psychosis. Now it's out in paperback, and I was dying to get him here to talk about it even more. On top of that, he has a fantastic piece in Mother Jones I want to talk about called Why the GOP Can't Quit Donald Trump. Hint, look at its history. Because his book, American Psychosis, explains what the party's problem is. This whole notion that, oh, if the Republicans could, if they could just get rid of Donald Trump, then we can return to normal. But it doesn't work that way. And a time machine wouldn't fix it. Donald Trump is the logical progression, folks. If your party can go in 70 years from Eisenhower to Nixon to Reagan to Bush to Little Bush to Sarah Palin and then to Trump. <laughs> Don't be surprised when Kid Rock shows up, Broheim. That's all I'm saying. This is only a good week for Republicans inside the MAGA bubble. I mean, they've just indicted the president's son, and they're going to try to have an impeachment inquiry to the president, and they're going to shut down the government all on the eve of an election year. Dude, go right ahead. That gavel is going to leap into Hakeem Jeffries' hand like Thor's hammer. Um, and then, oh, I love Heather Digby Parton, one of the smartest journalists in the world. Uh, I, we haven't had her on the show in ages either, but she has a new piece in Salon. The Antidote to Democratic Panic Syndrome, putting Joe Biden's poll numbers in perspective. Because in Heather's view, when it's 14 months before an election, you got no business losing any sleep 
over some damn poles. And I could not agree more. And I save the best for last. Our own iconic producer, Miss Thea Harper, will be here with another edition of the Minority Report in hour number three. In the meantime, we want to hear from you. And we're going to get to all your calls tonight because we didn't get to all your calls the last few nights. We left tons of people on hold. I'm raised Catholic, so guilt is my default setting. But tonight we're going to get to everybody, including you hate trolls. I invite you all to call and celebrate how awesome it is that Hunter Biden has been indicted and tell us how you're not a hypocrite at all for anything. We'd love, love, love to hear. I I love it when the Trumpers call, when when y'all just let your racist freak flags fly. We've had a few this week. You guys are welcome here. Uh, I promise you, Trumpers, I will lie to you uh, about 30,000 times less than Donald Trump himself. Thea Harper's our producer running this thing out of Brooklyn. The mighty Chris Hauselt is here running things out of South Carolina. My name's Fugelsang. I'm delighted to be with you. I'm not going to be here tomorrow. Uh, We have some brand new interviews coming tomorrow. It will be a new show. I have to fly out to San Francisco for a uh, a funeral, actually. It's kind of weird. You know, these things come in threes. Um, My wife's best friend's dad died, someone I've known for decades who's been to my wedding, a, a close family friend. And then uh, one of my close family friends, someone who helped raise me, my brother's godmother, uh, just died this week. And then my doorman in my New York City apartment building uh, was shot and murdered this week. Um, We don't have a lot of the facts on it yet. His daughter revealed on the GoFundMe page that he was a victim of gun violence. The second person in my building to be a victim of gun violence. Preventable gun violence with guns that were not bought in New York State. So all night long, uh, I'm going to have a great time with you guys because I'm going to miss being here tomorrow. And we want to hear from you on everything that happened in the news today. And I don't know if you heard, it was a little bit eventful. Uh, the death troll from the catastrophic flooding in Libya is now over 11,000. It will most certainly climb from there. Wisconsin's Republican-controlled Senate voted to remove the state's top election official, the nonpartisan election administrator, Megan Wolf which is very scary. Kevin McCarthy lashed out at his caucus in a closed-door meeting, cursed them out, and told the ones who want to threaten to remove him as speaker to bring it on, bro. It's it's going to be a McCarthy-Gates fight, folks. It's going to be a McCarthy-Gates fight, and it's worth it just to see how awkward it is for Marjorie Taylor Greene. Also, there will be two separate trials coming up in Georgia, we now know. One for speedy trial fans, Sidney Powell and Kenneth Cheesebro. Another for Donald Trump and his band of cheese bros and hurricane lee is still churning northward by the time i'm with you guys again early next week it will have made landfall in new england and canada as a category one storm not the biblical sized hurricane we were afraid of a week ago so let's get to it thank you again dino badala for always giving us such a great live lead-in and it's really an honor to take that audience in my hand like a baton and then alienate them all so a lot to get to I want to play you Joe Biden today in his speech on economic policy, pointing out the Republican backsliding on the budget agreements amidst Kevin McCarthy's disastrous freak show of a house. Now they're turning their backs on the bipartisan budget deal. Senator Speaker McCarthy made me made with me just a few months ago after threatening to do something. No one and came very close to do it, shutting down and reneging on our national debt, which would have caused an international economic crisis. Well, they're back at it again, breaking their commitment, threatening threatening more cuts and threatening to shut down government again this month. That's right. And again, um, I want to play a bit more. Here's Joe Biden lamenting the loss of the child tax credit and the resurgence of childhood poverty, which we brought to record lows in 2021. And then once the child tax credit was killed by Republicans 
and by Republicans I include Joe Manchin, childhood poverty doubled to the next year after we proved that government spending can drive it to its lowest levels ever. Here's the president. When you have a child care tax credit, you're a middle or lower middle class income person. Guess what? It means you can get help for your kid and you can go to work at the same time. And now MAGA Republican Congress did not support continuing that expended that extended tax cut. And this week we learned what happened as a result of their position. About three million more kids are now living in poverty because we've cut that again. I'm fighting to restore the child tax credit and once again lift these kids out of poverty. Okay, but I know the story you guys want to talk about. We knew it was coming. We knew it was going to be here any day. We knew it was going to be a big steaming pile of BS. And so it is. Hunter Biden has been indicted. <laughs> and, and, and I want to thank the Republican Party for showing us how deeply they care about unregistered gun ownership and the business dealings of presidential children. And privileged people who don't pay their taxes. Wow. They, they found Jesus on this indictment. This indictment follows, as you guys know, the collapse of a plea deal that had been arranged over two tax misdemeanors and a gun felony charge against Hunter Biden. This is the first in history, first ever criminal prosecution of a sitting president's child. It's also the first ever indictment of a sitting president's child to distract from a former president's 91 indictments in four separate jurisdictions. The Justice Department is now simultaneously prosecuting former President Trump and current President Biden's son at the same time, a couple of months before an election year begins. Now, you probably know the charges. They include making false statements on a form when he purchased a firearm in 2018 and not mentioning that he had suffered from drug addiction and, of course, possession of a firearm while using a narcotic. And this is going to set up a trial that obviously could loom very heavily over his father's re-election campaign, except it won't, because they'll probably make a deal. Because if this thing goes to trial, the entire world will know how selective this outrage is. See, legal analysts have said that felony charges, like the one now filed against Hunter Biden, are almost never ever bought in in circumstances like this. Well, what kind of circumstances are these? Well, it turns out they pretty much never bring felony charges when no crime has been committed with the gun and when there is absolutely no violent act related to the gun involved. And the DOJ never handles cases like that. I mean, again, Hunter Biden bought this gun. He lied on the form about his drug addiction and then he threw the gun away. There was no violent act related to the gun. No crime was committed with the gun. Hunter Biden had the gun in his possession for 11 days. That's it. That's what they got. They really care a lot, don't they, about gun safety. Charges related to gun possession by drug users? All right, you can go for that. But of all the people sentenced for illegal gun possession in 2021... About 5% of those were charged because of drug use, according to U.S. Sentencing Commission data. The Washington Post said today in the 2019 fiscal year, when Hunter Biden purchased his gun, federal prosecutors received 478 referrals for lying on Form 4473, and they only filed 298 cases. They compared those numbers to the 27 million background checks conducted during that period. So Republicans in Congress and on the campaign trail are going to hammer Biden over this, over his son buying a firearm and not having an accurate background check. 
I mean, this is serious business, right? It's not something trivial, like lying about your security clearance to work in the White House. And again, they just launched an impeachment inquiry into the president. They're escalating these investigations in Hunter Biden. They're going to try to impeach Biden for something. They're going to try to somehow tie Hunter Biden's business dealings to the president. Oh, and they're also going to shut down the government with an election year around the corner because they haven't really pissed off people existing outside the Republican bubble. Aren't aren't these the guys that have been telling us about weaponization of government? Hmm? Remember that phrase. It'll come in handy because Joe Biden is having... Honest to God, it's one of the more successful presidencies I can think of since World War II. The, the 2023 Inflation Reduction Act is a huge law. It's helping to meet climate goals. It's creating jobs. It's strengthening energy security. It's reducing energy and health care costs. It's making the tax code more fair. I mean, Republicans said they were going to lower inflation. Did they? Did Trump lower inflation before he left the office? Did the Republicans do anything to lower inflation? No. Their budget raises inflation because they increase medication costs. Uh, Joe Biden helped get Medicare able to negotiate prices and, and only a $35 a month cap on insulin. The Republican budget eliminates Medicare's ability to negotiate drug prices because they're all bought and paid for by pharma. And it gets rid of $35 maximum cap on insulin. They're appealing the Inflation Reduction Act tax credits. <laughs> So, again, they're not doing anything to help non-millionaires. All they have to offer non-millionaires is umbrage and outrage. And my friends, there's nobody who cares about this indictment that wasn't already suckered into being angry about Hunter Biden, but not angry about Trump's kids and Jared Kushner. I mean, and again, my personal take, I don't care that they indicted Hunter. Go ahead, indict him all day. I'm not part of a cult, folks. That's it. You're not part of a cult. We are not members of a cult of obedience. Blind obedience. Blind, unmanly obedience. Lock Joe Biden's son up for any of his crimes. But damn it, I want to see you investigate the business dealings of all children of all presidents. Because in reality, you guys know this. You know the real reason he got indicted. Because they have nothing to run on to help non-millionaires. And Hunter's last name is Biden. Now, I I, I just want to... People are talking about the irony here, the contradictions here. No. I reject those words. It's all hypocrisy. Stone-cold hypocrisy. And the hypocrisy here is that the firearm application only exists because Hunter Biden bought this gun from a federally licensed firearms dealer. And when you're federally licensed as a firearms dealer... As opposed to a dude in the parking lot of a gun show selling crap out of the back of his van, the federally licensed firearms dealer has to actually conduct a background check. You know those things, background checks, which Republicans don't think you should have to go through to own a gun? Now they're really caring about it. Remember Madison Cawthorn? I'm sorry if I triggered you. I know a lot of you have probably smoked a ton of weed in the last year to forget that imp. But Madison Cawthorn brought a loaded gun to an airport twice. He got a citation the first time. He got a $250 fine the second time. Because you know what happens if you accidentally have a gun through TSA? They will charge you a fine based on the kind of prohibited gun you possessed. Unloaded, it's a fine of $2,000 to $4,000. If you carry a loaded firearm through TSA, it can be a fine up to $10,250. And unloaded firearms with accessible ammunition are treated the same as a loaded firearm. Madison Cawthorn, Republican congressman, brought a loaded gun through TSA twice. He got off scot-free. He paid nothing close to the fines he's supposed to pay. 
<laughs> now, this brings us to the Second Amendment. Where's the NRA in this? Where are the gun nuts? Where are the, all the people who say, oh, you're gun grabbers, you take it from my cold dead hand. Where, where are they right now? Are they coming to Hunter's defense? Because if they really believe what they preached, doesn't Hunter Biden have every right to own a gun? I mean, it's in the Constitution, right? There's no exceptions for someone who hasn't filled out in a form that he was a drug abuser. I expect the NRA to totally support Hunter Biden's right to bear arms, even though he's a drug addict. Most gun owners, if you look around, will say that maybe this, this is the good thing from this will be it'll strike the drug question from Form 4473, that it's unconstitutional. You know, that shall not be infringed bullshit they want to dangle in front of us whenever we say, hey, maybe 20 year olds shouldn't be allowed to own weapons. The founders could have never imagined weapons designed to kill lots of humans really fast. Well, no, no, no. Uh, they believe in regulated guns when it's the president's son. When it's an unstable 21-year-old who's going to buy an AR-15 and wander into a school to make his special kind of magic, that's just freedom, folks. It's great that they now believe. And, and again, we invite all you MAGA friends. We'd love to hear from you. I want to hear uh, Donald Trump supporters explain how they believe there should be limitations on our Second Amendment rights. You go, guys. It's brilliant. Now, look, Hunter Biden's been indicted by Joe Biden's DOJ, which means if Joe Biden is really going after his opponent in an election year, then morons, he's also going after his own damn son. Nothing Republicans have alleged Joe and Hunter Biden have done has been charged. And the only charge, the only charge levied is for a crime that the Republican Party believes and fights for it. The Republican Party thinks it shouldn't exist. They're against background checks. Remember, do you remember what happened in Connecticut <laughs> when those 26 children were killed and Barack Obama just tried to get expanded background checks? 90% approval, more popular than Christmas. But the Republican Party killed it with a filibuster because they don't want background checks. And now, oh, Republicans push for this. This is what they do. It's what they did to Bill Clinton. They dig and they, they dig and they dig and they dig until they finally uncover some treasure that does absolutely nothing for the American people who elect them. So let's thank Hunter Biden for proving that all of our right-wing friends demand limitations on your Second Amendment rights. Again, no one on the left cares that Hunter Biden's indicted because the left is not a cult of blind obedience. I'm just here to mock all the hypocrisy. While Jared Kushner and Donald Trump lick Khashoggi's blood off a $2 billion pile of Saudi cash. We want to know what you guys think. Let's get a quick call in before the break. Laura in L.A., thank you for waiting on hold. You're on SiriusXM. Hi, yes. Um, I'd like to quote someone famous that says, hypocrisy is an abomination to the Lord. And it was in a song by um, Boy George, uh, Culture Club Gays, Church nice. of the Poison Mind. <laughs> nice. You thought I was going to go to Bible. <laughs> Listen, I, I love it. Boy George, Church of the Poison Mind. Right on. Thank you, Boy George. I mean, you're not outraged okay, about uh, this, right? Do you, are, you, are you infuriated that Hunter Biden is being held to account uh, for something I, he did? I already called a, a Signorelli, so uh, my passion's gone. I have to talk about something very, very important. Okay. Barbara Bain was never in Get Smart, unless you were being facetious. No, I confused <laughs> it. I got it mixed up. Mission Impossible TV yes, show. Yes, I totally confused it, and I was deeply embarrassed. I was corrected last night. Politics with mistakes like that. Come on. I know, I know. I, I, I have. I get a pop culture demotion for that one. Okay, 
and then there's a comic that you used to have on, like in 2021, very combative, a Bernie bro. He was hilarious, but he was always contentious okay. uh, about... So do you remember his name, Feldman? Or, I look oh, David Feldman, of course, the great Emmy, Emmy Award-winning writer, David Feldman. Yes, I love him. He, oh, he writes, you know, I, David David writes all the jokes for Triumph the Insult Comic Dog. Yeah, so um, was he fed up with us being not a Bernie bro, or is he coming back on soon? I'm trying to get him back on soon, but I love David. He's a friend, and I want to get him in person, not on a freaking Zoom. So I'm working on him. I'm His mom died last year, yeah, so he was, so up, combative. He was out of town for a while. It. Yeah, no, I love him. He's a, he's a, he's he's a true friend and someone I deeply love. And he's a deeply he's a deeply disturbed uh, a deeply disturbed very filthy mind. He he really should be locked up. But until he is, I'm going to enjoy him as much as I can. We'll get him back soon. Oh, okay, thank you for telling. I'll look up if he's on YouTube. Then. Right on. Oh, he is. He's all over the place. Thank you so much, Laura. Oh. We got to take a really quick break. When we come back, more of your calls. Don't go away. We're just getting warmed up. Eight six six nine nine seven forty seven forty eight. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. This is SiriusXM. I'm John Fugelsang. This is Tell Me Everything, bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble. I am so pleased to welcome our next guest. Allow me to quote him from an excellent new piece in Mother Jones. Two years after the Trump virus caused a violent eruption that threatened American democracy, little has changed within the party and its base. Millions of Trump-worshipping Republicans still believe the 2020 election was rigged and the January 6th was a false flag operation. Should Trump disappear from the scene today? This irrationalism, this psychosis will not vanish. He's not the cause of the GOP's sickness. He's the symptom. If that is not fully recognized, there will be no effective treatment or cure. That's David Korn from an excellent new piece you got to read in Mother Jones called Why the GOP Can't Quit Donald Trump. Hint, look at his history. And he pretty much says what I've said for a long time. Trump is just the hood ornament on the same old big car crashing into the village that is democracy. David Cord is a veteran Washington journalist and political commentator. He's the Washington bureau chief from Mother Jones magazine, a great analyst on MSNBC. He's the author or co-author of four different New York Times bestsellers, including the number one, Russian Roulette, the inside story of Putin's war in America, and the election of Donald Trump, 
and uh, uh, showdown, the inside story of how Obama battled the GOP to set up the 2012 election and hubris and his last book, American Psychosis, might be the best. It's an amazing book about how the history of the party of Lincoln made these alliances with extremists and kooks and racists and conspiracy freaks. And that is what ushered in a level playing field for a guy like Trump to take over the party of Lincoln. It is a great pleasure to welcome the great David Korn back to Sirius XM. Good evening, sir. Good to be with you, John. Thank you so much. And thank you for this dynamite piece in Mother Jones. You're saying what I've said for a long time. God bless uh, Mitt Romney's dubious intentions. But Donald Trump did not take over the Republican Party. He's the logical conclusion of Reaganism, Quailism, Wism, and Palinism. And New Gingrichism and Pat Robertsonism and the That's New Rightism and Religious Rightism and the Southern Strategyism and McCarthyism and John Bircherism and Goldwaterism. I mean, exactly. that was the point of, of, of the book American Psychosis, in, in, in which I kind of looked at it's you know the seven decade long history of this relationship between the Republican Party and far-right extremism, you know, learning and seeing and showing in the book that the Republican Party has always encouraged and exploited extremism. And Donald Trump just came along and put it center stage when up to now it's been, you know, kind of considered a side gig. It's side hustle, (laughs) you know. And and to me, it's kind of interesting. I mean, you know, timing is everything, right? And, And the book is just coming out this week, just a day or two ago, in an expanded paperback version, at the same yes. time that Mitt, the big story about Mitt Romney, that he's resigning and he's, he's disillusioned with the party. And in this piece in The Atlantic that came out a day or two ago, he basically asks, you know, was this, was Trumpism always a part of the Republican Party? And did I and other mainstream Republicans play a role in nurturing and cultivating that well the Mm -hmm. answer is yes and yes and that you know i feel like i should send mitt a copy of of american psychosis yes because it shows it just shows that again and again the party you know cultivated the kooks as even ronald reagan called them back in the day because they wanted their votes and their uh, money and their support and it kind of with each iteration go from ginridge to Palin to the Tea Party, they, they the radicals become more embodied, more tethered, and more so major right. part of the Republican Party. And Trump saw that and just came along and just went straight at them. Nothing subtle, no wink, wink, no dog whistles. He made it put it center stage, and now you know. And and, and Trump could only sell this because there were tens of millions of Americans who wanted to buy it. So even if he was gone from the scene, this decade, decades long radicalization of the far right of the Republican base has been going on. And John Boehner, you know, promoted it and then it ate him. It ate That's Tim right. Ryan. It may eat yep. Kevin McCarthy, but it's it there. Is. It's not going it's not going away. These people believe the election was stolen. They don't believe in climate change. They believe they still believe Barack Obama was a socialist um, Muslim born in Kenya who wanted to destroy the country and put people in concentration camps. And yeah. they believe, you know, most and half of Republicans now say that they believe the Democrats are some form of secret pedophile cabal. 
So they really are just driven by paranoia, fear, conspiracism. And it's because that audience is out there. Donald Trump's been able to come along and really take control of the party and turn it into a cult with him as its leader. Yes. I mean, I, I've always kind of felt that the Republican Party was always a conservative party with a white nationalist nutjob fringe. Now it's become a white nationalist nutjob party with a conservative fringe. But as as you point out, you know, the John Birch Society was a right wing conspiracy theory, political advocacy group that said that Eisenhower, Supreme Allied Commander Dwight Eisenhower, was a commie agent and Barry Goldwater heard this and said, hey, I want to work with them in 1964. And you talked about how, you know, Nixon got the nomination in 68 in your book because he made a deal with Strom Thurmond and the segregationists. And and he had John Mitchell's campaign manager tell Strom Thurmond that Nixon would give up, as you write, all the pro-Negro crap if the Southern delegates led by Thurmond would stay with them at the convention. This has always been there, but it seems like all of these presidents, no matter how foul, would always come out and appeal to the better angels of our nature. I think what's special about Trump, David, is he's the first one to come along and say, no, folks, you don't have to be better than you are. Look at me. I'm a big, rich douchebag, and I turned out just fine. And it's sort of, if anything, Trump celebrates the deviance, but the deviance has been there for many, many decades. I mean, look at someone like George H.W. Bush talked about um, a thousand points of lights, lights being kinder and gentler, right? Uh, When he needed to. He went to Pat Robertson. Pat Robertson, I know he has a lot of supporters, and he passed away recently, but had a lot of supporters, a lot of people who watched him, was an anti-Semitic conspiracy nut. Indeed. He wrote a book called, called The New World Order, in which he said uh, a, a, the Rothschild family, the European banking family of Jews, was, in, was part of a satanic cabal to impose one world government on everybody and strip away Christianity. They were doing this with Henry Kissinger and communists and that George H.W. Bush was part of this group that was a tool of Satan. This is what he wrote. He wrote this down in a book. You can look it up. You can read it. So he's calling George H.W. Bush a satanic tool who's involved in this conspiracy, this anti-Semitic conspiracy. And what does George H.W. Bush do? He goes to the Christian Coalition conferences and praises Pat Robertson, goes to Pat Robertson's, you know, mansion for fundraisers to raise money for Pat Robertson's group. And so he's validating and authenticating Pat Robertson. Now, he's I think he knows Well, when I become president, I'm not going to do what he wants me to do. But he's out there basically sending the signal that Pat Robertson is a serious fellow. We should pay attention to him. And you millions of people who listen to him are right to do so. And so that happened again and again in different iterations and different manifestations um, over the last 70 years. And these Republicans thought they could ride this tiger, take advantage of it. This is what John Boehner thought with the Tea Party. Remember the Tea Party. Led by who? Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck had a TV show on Fox, and every night he was out there saying, Barack Obama wants to build concentration camps to lock you up in. And John Boehner, Sarah Palin, when she was governor, other House Republicans would go on his show and say, what a great guy you are, Glenn. 
That's right. And they would validate and authenticate him and help him in the, because they wanted the Tea Party to help him get elected. It helped John Boehner become speaker. And then it destroyed his career. Yes, sir. It, you know, the tiger ate him. But, and so you this know, has happened again. You're right. But they always thought they could keep him to the side and that that wasn't what defined them and the mainstream Republicans. That was what Trump came along and said that he was running against 15 mainstream Republicans. He said, you know what? I understand the Republican base better than you do. So when someone stands up in the crowd at a Trump rally in November of 2015 and says, what are you going to do about the Muslims? They're the problem. What are you going to do about them? He goes, you know what? We're looking into that. That's yeah. a serious issue. We're looking into that. And then he goes on Alex Jones's conspiracy mongering talk show and says, Alex Jones, you're a treasure. You're a valued member of my of, of my troops. And, you know, he just blew past all those other yeah. 15 bloviating establishment Republicans because he knew where the heart of the Republican yeah. Party was after these decades of throwing them red meat from Ginrich, Rush Limbaugh, uh, Gary Goldwater. He saw what that had led to. Well, when Ronald Reagan wasn't um, uh, supporting apartheid or appointing segregationists to be the chief justice of the Supreme Court, he was always courting the moral majority and praising the moral majority as these people were openly calling for the execution of gay people because they haven't actually read the Bible. And people forget that in 1988... Ronald Reagan never endorsed his vice president, George H.W. Bush, for president until after Pat Robertson had dropped out of the primaries. Is it true, though, David, you wrote this in your book. Is it true that Nixon actually told Bush to dump people like Pat Robertson and Jerry Falwell? Yeah, I mean, that, that's it. You can find examples again and again and again where a Republican says this is going too far. Now, privately, not publicly. We right. need to separate ourselves from the party. You know, George uh, Bush himself, H.W. Uh, Bush, in his diaries, wrote about during the primaries when he was running against Pat Robertson that Chris, these Christian coalition extremists would come up and scream and yell at him. Uh, you know, member of the New World Order, you know, you, we got, you know, you're not a true Christian. And he would, you know, write, we need to do something about this. I've talked to Ronald, Ronald Reagan at one of our lunches, and he agrees. We need to do something. Yeah. But then publicly, he would embrace Robertson and get his endorsement and have him speak at Republican events and, and at the convention. So right. they, they, they they always knew. They were, you know, and, and Mitt Romney, who's in, in the news these days, um, and who I always have a fond a fondness for since I, I broke the 47% story. So I feel like I have a bond <laughs> with Mitt, Mitt, Mitt Romney in a way. And I think in all the ways, Mitt is actually a decent fellow. I know people I work agree. with him and know him. I think he's the guy you want to live next door to. So when you wake up on a snowy morning and it's 8 a.m., your walk and driveway is already shoveled because he yes, got up at five. I agree. And he said, you know, I'm going to help. I'm going to help John. He's a good – I may not agree with him politically, but he's a good fellow, and I'm going to shovel his walk. Okay, so I have a lot of – I have. A, I do have some fun. As you mean, you mean a Republican. Me. You mean a Republican, David. Yeah. A Republican like we grew up with. Yes. A nice Republican person who just yes. wrong about things but not batshit evil. Yeah. 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 And um, but when he was running in 2012, when Donald Trump was sort of at the height of his birtherism crusade, the racist conspiracy theory that he was that Donald Trump Thank was you. pushing, mm -hmm. Mitt Romney went to Las Vegas, went to the Trump Hotel, 
literally hugged Trump, embraced him because Trump endorsed him. Yeah. He wanted Trump's endorsement in the Republican primary to appeal to the far right. Um, he knew that Trump was a charlatan and wasn't a serious fellow and didn't have a lot to do with him after that. But by accepting his endorsement and flying out there and in essence kissing his ring, he was validating Trump while Trump was promoting a racist uh, conspiracy theory. And so, yes, Mitt Romney, who now seems tortured, about you know what the how what the Republican Party has become, he was indeed part of the problem, and I I can imagine how hard that is to face down. I mean I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not being I'm not trying to be glib about this, but uh, when you know like all these other Republicans when they needed to, they made their devil's deal with far right extremists right. who were conspiracists, bigots, racists, whatever. Uh, because that's what you need to do to uh, thrive and survive within the Republican Party. It sounds hyperpartisan and it sounds very extreme, but um, I, you know, I was kind of you know a bit surprised when I when I was working on my book and writing my book, uh, American Psychosis. You're told to say the name over and over again, so I'll say it. Um, <laughs> I'll keep saying it too. This pattern, you know, this pattern repeats itself, and. If you don't sit down and take the time to write a book or easier to read a book that 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 transverses this time span of the last 70 years, you don't really see it as it's happening. You know, life become you know, life seems very present. Each chapter seems to be just what's happening at the moment. You're but right. if you look at the you know, the whole book, you see, well, no, why? Whoa, whoa. This ain't new. Newt Gingrich did the same stuff. Tea Party did the same things. The New Right in the 1970s did the same thing. McCarthy did the same thing in the 50s. McCarthy was QAnonism, except without the, you know, right. baby sex trafficking. Um, so it's <laughs> yeah, it's been repeated over and over again by the Republican Party, and you know some Republicans are, I think, big enough and bold enough to to recognize that. Because um, it is, a, I think, a strong indictment of them and their party, while others just, you know, ha you know, hands over the ears, I can't hear you, I can't hear you. Right. But as you point out so beautifully in American Psychosis, which I'll keep repeating because it's a great title, <laughs> you know, a lot of these sane Republicans are, they're never above tapping in to that Confederate racist undercurrent that has powered so many elections. Now, I, too, have a special history with Mitt Romney. Uh, it was in early 2012, and I was doing mornings with Soledad O'Brien on CNN every day. And one morning we had Mitt's communications director on. Soledad allowed the comedian on the panel to ask a question. And the question I asked about Mitt going so far to the right, he couldn't pivot to the center for the general, prompted his campaign director to say, oh, no, it's like an etch-a-sketch. And I wound up causing, that was me. I caused the first yeah. serious crisis for the Romney campaign, so I've always felt close to him as well. But what I kept thinking yesterday, and I, and I agree with you on many levels, a fine man. He opposed Donald Trump, but, you know, voted for Supreme Court picks and wouldn't endorse Biden. But I was thinking back to August 25th, 2012, when Mitt Romney in a campaign speech said to the crowd, no one has to ask to see my birth certificate. Everyone knows that I was born here. And Mitt himself gave into it. So I find so many of these yeah. pearl-clutching, respectable Republicans who are so appalled, so appalled uh, at, at, the, at Trumpism, 
Well, they're the same Dr. Frankenstein that created this particular monster, and the monster went and found a mad scientist it liked better. They keep saying, as you point out in the piece, if only the Republicans could get rid of Donald Trump, it could return to normal. But it doesn't work that way, is it? There's no way, because there was no normal. Yeah, I mean, a line I had in the piece is, your father's Republican Party was not your father's Republican Party. Um, even, you know, you, you, a lot of people didn't see what this, that this was going on. And to me, it's, it's you know, it's, it's not like an ebbing back and forth, you know, the pendulum swinging. It's been a pretty steady drumbeat on the Republican side as the base has become more radical and I would argue more untethered from reality. And the yes, thing sir. about you know, going down the rabbit hole of paranoia, conspiracy theory, and, you know, throwing hatred and bigotry is that once you start believing, say, the birther conspiracy theory, you then start believing other things. You start believing the deep state is, you know, is, is against you and Donald Trump. You st- you believe the big lie that the election right. was stolen. I mean, and you, you don't, it's very rare that you pull back. You believe that climate change is a hoax um you don't you know it's not like oh you don't wake up one day because donald trump lost an election and say oh everything that i felt so fervently which was on you know which was not based in reality was wrong and now i'm just going to wait for a republican who can give me good policy on on housing and education no the, these people get in are in a cosmos they're within a realm and whether donald trump is winning or losing elections, their, what they think is reality, their reality is not going to change. So that just means they will need somebody else to yes. come along and talk to them. Because I mean, this is really a matter of, of not politics, but theology. If you believe yes. something without seeing evidence of it, that is faith and that is theology. And that's, you know, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, you, it's all about believing something that actually can't be proven. You, you know, we don't have a record of the of the resurrection. Uh, we have a, an account written hundreds of years afterwards. That's right. But we don't. You know, you either believe it, you choose to believe it, or you don't believe it. Um, and with Donald Trump, it's you know, it's despite evidence um, or without not needing evidence, people are believing that he won the election. Uh, they you know, believe all the subset of conspiracy theories about mules. Uh, they, 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 they believe that the, you know, they won't read a single investigative report about the Russian attack on the election. They believe it was That's all right. a hoax because Donald Trump said it was a hoax. Even, even the Senate Intelligence Committee, when run by Marco Rubio, putting out a bipartisan report saying that Russia attacked and Trump tried to benefit from it. This is signed off by Marco Rubio. You know, they won't read it. They don't care about it. They won't won't change their their views. And so these people, with or without Trump, are not going away. I mean, they they will be dying off. Trump voters are older than Biden voters, and they True. live in less healthy parts of the country. And so there will be demographic change that affects the nation and its and its politics. But by and large, they're not going to be changing the way they see the world and their distorted reality and the republicans uh, are going to have to you know unless the party breaks apart in some ways that you're going to have to keep contending with the fact 
that if not an outright majority, a significant block of Republican voters cannot be reasoned with. Well, and to that point, sir, and we're talking to David Korn, the author of the excellent book, American Psychosis, now out in paperback. Do yourself a favor. It makes a great gift for the smart, moral person in your life. But speaking of the birtherism, it was on September 16th, 2016, that Donald Trump finally admitted that Barack Obama really was born here. And David, it, it astonishes me that almost every day I talk to Republicans who don't know this. They don't know that Donald Trump finally admitted that Barack Obama was born here, and it's because the media they consume chose not to tell them. And in the book, you talk so much about the influence of Rush Limbaugh and the impact he had on the American people. Are we at a point now where folks are literally beyond reason? I'm honest with you, sir. Almost every day I've got to tell people, look it up. September 16th, 2016, Trump admitted it because they've never been told. Yeah, I mean, I think there. You, know, you can look at, you know, what happens on uh, on Fox almost any day. Um, evidence comes out showing that Trump did something, venal, bad, you know, legal, illegal, and they're out there, you know, writing a piece about some library somewhere having a book in it that uses the word gay. That's what they're yeah. fixating about. You know, when he gets indicted, they, you know, they almost barely have mentioned it on certain days. So, yeah, the, you know, there is a very tight uh, control of information on, on, on the right. You know, and you can say that you know, everybody's stuck in their own bubbles. But um, I think if you, you know, you know you've worked at CNN, I've, I've worked at MSNBC, and I've never seen it. You know, we know at Fox from the lawsuit, but I knew this because I, I, I was associated years ago. You know, they put out talking points every morning. There's a call, an editorial call. Here are the talking points we are pushing today. And it's like a political campaign. These are political talking. They used to come from Roger Ailes. He's yeah. long gone now, but they still come down. This is what we're doing. It's a propaganda outfit. I, uh, I know some people don't believe me when I say this, but it's 100% true. I've never, ever been told what I can or can't say on MSNBC. You know, it's like, can you come on and talk about this? Yeah. Well, we want you to say this. No, that doesn't happen. Yep. I will say this. And, you know, a few times the host has said, watch your language. <laughs> Don't get too heated. But, you know, yeah. in terms of, you know, the substance. But, you know, Fox is, and we saw this with the, the, the Dominion Voting Systems um, lawsuit, that they were saying things. They knew was were not true about the election, Tucker Carlson and others, because they did not want to alienate their audience. So they, right. for money, they were That's putting it. out disinformation and supporting propaganda. And so they're kind of, you know, a little bit in the same bind as the Republican Party. They have an audience that they That's think it's kind of cracked and not you know fully tethered to reality, but they need to serve it. Otherwise, they worry it's going to run off to Newsmax or OANN. And so people so who right. believe otherwise were saying, you know, back crap, crazy things about the election. Now, of course, Fox does have people on the air who probably do believe some of this nonsense. But I mean, certainly Rupert Murdoch didn't and Tucker Carlson didn't and we and other executives didn't. And when and we have examples of when reporters, you know, question you know, Donald Trump's claim of a stolen election, you know, Tucker Carlson said, get that person off the air. That's They're going to hurt yep. 
us with our audience. So true. David, it's such a pleasure to have you. I take a lot of, uh, of faith in the fact that these folks would have followed George W. Bush into the mouth of hell 20 years ago. And by the time Trump was sworn in, they denied they ever supported George Bush. They are very quick to overthrow their demigods. David Korn is the author of American Psychosis, an essential book for your collection. And his amazing new piece in Mother Jones is called Why the GOP Can't Quit Donald Trump. Hint, look at its history. Sir, thank you so much for joining us tonight. This platform's always open to you. What a pleasure. Okay, talk to you soon, I hope, John. Be well, sir. Take care. We'll be right back with your calls in just a moment. This is Progress. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back. Let's go to the phones. We're going to be joined this hour by the great Heather Digby Parton, who hasn't been on this show in ages. I'm very excited. Her new piece in Salon is all about how you should not care about these polls that people say are bad for Biden because we're 14 months out of it. She makes a very good case. But let's go to Jeff in L.A. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for waiting on hold. So good to hear you. My condolences. I don't know who asked. Oh, um, a, 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 a close family friend of mine that was my brother's godmother and a close family friend of my wife that was at my wedding. And then um, the doorman in my building in Greenwich Village was uh, was killed in uh, in gun violence. And this is all just in the last two weeks. So uh, it, it seems to God. come in threes. Yeah. A lot of funerals this month. Uh, well, um, I lost my father in October. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. Up. I didn't know this. I, my, my condolences. Yeah, I'm I, so sorry. Um yeah. So anyhow, my my condolences, and I was like, "How do I say that?" And because I don't know what had happened, I just hadn't heard you for about a week. Well, I was also on vacation, I but I, I I find just saying thoughts and prayers when you don't mean it usually works in America. Yeah, and so what I wanted to really talk about. I hope I can get to poverty, but Dennis Preger, not a <laughs> Jew, not a Jew. What? Okay? He'd be um, he'd be surprised Cobra, to hear that. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I can't. I, with Shana Toba, it's on the eve of uh, Rosh Hashanah. And I just, uh, I went to the American Jewish University. He spoke there a few times. And, I mean, it it's just, uh, I mean, uh, it's a tragedy. You know, it's like, like I, you know, like Dan Abrams says, when law meets politics. And I always say, you should host when religion meets politics. Yeah. But, I mean, there was just nothing Jewish in what he was discussing. Anyhow, but throw him under the bus. What I wanted to talk about <laughs> was fighting. You know, I mean, I just, like, cause there's so few Jews. And I know, you know, people say anti-Semitic, you know, and I'm very proud of my Judaism. But I just, it really hurts a lot because there's so few of us. 
and then I think of someone like him or uh, Ivanka and uh, Jared Kushner and, yeah. you know, and, you know, and, and there's just so few Jews and then they're in these situations like that. And anyhow, but Jews are always critics. And then, and then, and, and the fact that he would say socialism, Jews were behind socialism. I know. I know. I, Look, I mean, the old Testament, the old Testament calls for a Jubilee year to repay all debts every seven years. I mean, it's like, this is what I deal with, with these, these Christians all day long who boast of their piety publicly and on social media and in their campaign speeches. And in reality, Jesus is just a prop. They wave around to boast about how devoted they are while they ignore his teachings and legislate against them. Yeah. It's just terrible. You, you probably know the comedian, but I want to talk about poverty real quick. But he, um, uh, I would say black. I've, no, not Lewis Black, but you probably know the comedian. But he's Jewish, and he, he kind of puts it into his, uh, you know, his, his routine. And he goes, he goes. Um, now you use my book, what you call old, because you hate gay people. He's like, hmm. that's not in your book. Anyhow, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you're right. Uh, I, I, I wish I, I did, can't is that a Lewis? Is that a Lewis know. bit? Did Lewis do that bit? Uh, I don't. Not black. Not Lewis Black. Um, God, I can't remember who it was now. I want to say I Mark. It's it's a really dark uh, comedy special. But anyhow, are you um, are you offended? By the way, are you offended by the the term Old Testament? Well, I, I mean, there's not enough time here to talk about it. But what what I always say is, first of all, any Jew that calls it old. It's not really Jewish, okay, of course. Um, or doesn't really the, know what they're talking about. No, because, we goyim call it that because we don't know the word Torah. No, but there are a lot of come on. There, there's so many cultural Jews out there, and I just think of Dennis Prager and he just you know just destroying it even more. Know. You know, it's just, it, well, it, tell, we got Thea's Thea's waiting in the wings. So let's talk about about poverty. Okay, yeah, yes. Okay, so I just want to say. The expression fire, fight fire of fire. I want to say fight fire with water. And so I want to <laughs> say what like Biden is doing. I move. I had to move because I had a really corrupt property owner, and I'm going to sue him. And I had to get out of there because I couldn't be there while he was there. But And people would like say, oh, is it really worth it? And others are sort of wanting me to do it. But I left from where it was, a really nice area, down really the heart of L.A., like, Okay. Not Skid Row, but close to. And I leave Pasadena, and these huge houses and the grass. And, and I know and where I you're get going on the one ten, and yeah. I come home. Yeah. And I just want to say, fight fire with water. And and I'm very fortunate where I'm at. But my point just being that what Biden talks about, and I always try to tell people, you know that issue about. The prescriptions, you know, that issue about those extra fees that were charged for the rent yeah. that you can't do. That's Biden. So yeah. what I'm getting at is the poverty, homelessness um, and, of course, labor, as I always say. And I want to say again, strike, baby, strike, because the yeah. UAW looks like they're going to nail it again. And labor is our hope. I think Thank that's what's going to pull us. And I just want to say poverty. If we could just focus on that. I mean, look, I'm not saying don't talk about abortion or trans or whatever, but I'm just saying that when they start to bring up those nonsensical issues, yes. why not just say, look, 
how many trans people are there? Point zero 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 eight. Yeah, but again, I mean, that's scapegoating. You, 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 I don't know. But you know, you know how tiny minorities get scapegoated and exploited by majorities to get elections. It's fascism one on one. You convince the majority their way of life is under siege by a powerless minority, and only I can protect you. Whether it's Jews or gypsies or gays or immigrants, and th- this week it's trans people. But what I'm saying is, Biden's the guy that can kind of maybe just. Just say, okay, let's just say you're right. So yeah. what? Well, that's it. So yeah. little, it won't affect you. How many of I think you you're are right. one paycheck away from going onto the street? Whether I think you're, you're trans- right. Whether you're black, white, green, gay, Jewish, whatever it might be, trans, it doesn't yeah. matter. Like, you're right, just, Jeff. Just focus I- on them. You're right. I got to run. But I thank you so much for the call. And I think that Biden has come a long way in that from the man he used to be. And I think that Joe Biden's greatest strength could be standing up there and saying, folks, I'm an old white guy who's learned to be more open minded and bigger hearted over the course of my career. I've become more progressive because of my faith and I love people and I want to be a better man. And a lot of old people out there have learned to adapt to the times. That's the message he has to have to draw the contrast between old people who get better and old people who stay shitty and thinking it's still the 1950s like you know who. Now it's time for Thea Harper with the Minority Report. Let's face facts, cause we know what's the real motives. In the land of the free is for the freeloaders. Leave us dead in the street and be the organ donors. They disorganized my people, made us all loners. Still got the last names of our slave owners. In the land of the free is for the freeloaders. Leave us dead in the street and be the organ donors. They disorganized my people, made us all loners. In the land of the free is for the free lotus. Everybody stand up and rise for the great Thea Harper. Welcome back, Thea. I love when you do this segment. Hey, John. How are you? I'm okay. Thank you. Although, I got to say, I'm a bit furious about this story that you're you're sharing with us tonight. Now, now I had heard about this tragic story where this graduate student in Seattle was hit by a police SUV. Um, mm-hmm. And that all on its own is tragic, but the actual story is much more painful. Can you fill our listeners in to what has gone down in Seattle and what's being done about it? Yeah, so a Seattle Police Accountability Office is investigating after an officer was recorded on his body camera joking about the death of a 23-year-old woman who was fatally struck by an SUV by another police officer who was responding to a call. Mm. Uh, Her name was, uh, she was a graduate student. Her name was Janavi Kendula. And she was in a crosswalk on January 23rd when an officer struck her with his patrol SUV. Uh, According to Seattle Police Department's investigation report, Um, provided to the King County Prosecuting Attorney's Office. The officer, Kevin Dave, was driving 74 miles per hour moments before the collision. In Seattle, he's he's driving an SUV. How fast? 74 miles per hour. Jesus. And and he was responding uh, as an emergency medical technician to a priority one emergency call at the time. And then uh, Officer Daniel Daniel Otter uh, responded to the scene to evaluate Dave and determined right. he did not show any signs of impairment. Okay. And in uh, this body camera footage that was just released, you could hear Daniel Otter discussing the incident while on the phone in his in his car, and he says. 
he's going 50 miles per hour. He's going 50. That's not out of control. That's not reckless for a train driver. Uh, 50 in Seattle, like through an intersection. And, and, he, and he was off by 24 miles an hour. My God. Mm-hmm. And, and this was all recorded on his body cam, right? Like, yes, all, all recorded on his body cam. How are these cops uh, so stupid? How are these cops so stupid to be wearing these things and think that they can be monsters like this? But it, but it gets worse. It gets worse because then he says to the person on the phone, we don't know who exactly he was talking to, but right. he says, but she's dead. And then he laughs. Um, uh. Yeah. Uh. And I, then. I yeah. Tell ahead. me what happens. I know, no, I, I know what happened next. I heard about this. It gets even worse. He's laughing that she's dead um, mm-hmm. on his body cam because he's a, a just a, a graceless moron. But then then what did he say after that? Yeah, so towards the end of the video, he says, yeah, just write a check. And then he laughs even more. And then he says $11,000. She was 26 anyway. And he says she had limited value. These people take an oath to protect and serve, you know? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. a, cop, a cop kills this young woman driving 74 miles an hour in a city. And I'm willing to accept that it was an accident. And I'm sure... I'm willing to believe that the cop who killed her feels incredible grief and regret. And this guy on his body cam, because I guess what? He was so certain he could talk this way and get away with it. He's pretty he's much. Jo- oh. <laughs> pretty much. Who who, um, who who found this? Like, how did how did the, the police department brass find out about this? Because I know they don't they don't screen everything. No, they don't. But uh, so. So the Seattle Police Department on Monday released the footage um, saying that the video was identified by a department employee who was concerned about the nature of statements heard on that video and Mm. brought it to the chief's office. Right on. God bless the whistleblowers, Mm -hmm. man. I'm sorry. They'll call him a snitch. But Jesus Christ, it's just this story makes me think, Thea, how Mm -hmm. many horrible things have other cops said? On body right. cam footage because they were so certain they'd never get reported for it. There must be so much stuff that never has any accountability. They just think they can do this. That's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, it's just really heartbreaking. I I can't even fathom someone watching a person being killed and, and then making a joke out of it. Well, also, this woman's 23 years old, killed by a member of the department, which, mm -hmm. okay, yeah, write a check. They laugh about that. But then this just gratuitous cruelty. This is the sort of thing that makes a family sue a a police department for millions of dollars. Like this is the department's own liability at at, at stake here. Yeah, but also it's. You know, I felt like his comments was pretty much saying that it's okay that she was killed because she wasn't white. Exactly. Well, totally. And and it's really scary because I felt like from that video, you you could get a sense of how some officers think about people who are not white. And but, but also his response shows what happens when officers are not held accountable. He says, just write a check. As if that makes everything okay. That's a complete disregard for human life. And it just shows that there's a huge problem with policing in America that needs to be addressed. Yeah. I mean, joking that her life is only worth 11,000 bucks and she had limited value. That's just that's just inhuman. And, and this woman was from India, right? 
Yes, yes. She was uh, from India so, and she was so- a graduate student. She was working to earn her master's degree in information systems from Northeastern University, uh, their Seattle campus. And I also read somewhere else that she was taking care of her mother who lived in India. Oh. Now, my understanding is that the, the cop who hit her, mm-hmm. that he was very upset and that he actually had his, his lights and his siren on and was speeding. That's why he was going so fast when he hit her and that she was running through the crosswalk and he, he slammed in the brakes and, and, and tried to avoid it. But it just it just happened. It seems like it was very much a tragic accident on the part of the cop that actually struck her with his vehicle. Right. From what it appears, I'm sure that there will be more information on that. But yeah, from what it seems, it seems like it it wasn't it was an accident. So then let me ask you this. Why hasn't this cop been fired yet? Well, right now, well, since the the footage has been released now, there's been a lot of call to attention to do something about it for there to be some sort of accountability. Um, Even though this happened back in January, this footage was just released recently. So now it's pretty much under investigation. Well, I I, do you think it might have something to do with uh, this cop auditor, um, his role with the Seattle Police Officers Guild, the, the, the union? Yes. I did read that. Yes, he's a part of this union. Yeah, he's the vice president of the Mm -hmm. Seattle Cops Union. So Mm -hmm. we talk about qualified immunity all the time and how hard it is to fire a cop for doing for breaking the law. In this case, you know, he didn't break the law. I mean, he was just saying cruel and insensitive and shocking things that could open up the department to all kinds of liability. But he's the vice president of the union. I'm I'm guessing it's going to be tough to fire this guy. That's probably why they released the tape, right? Yeah, that's probably why. But hopefully we always talk about accountability, but I really hope that he is held accountable and not like just restricted to like some sort of desk job or something, because I I just feel like, you know, something like this happens, you know, why not, you know, take it out of his pension and, you know, give it to the victim's family? Yeah, Jesus. Thea, this is a this is a sad story, but this is the kind of thing that I, I I think we have to talk about, especially on a channel like this, because people need to be outraged. and And my compliments to the police department for releasing this video. I wish it had come out a bit earlier, but still, let's stay on this one because I want to find out if justice is ever served in this case. It's just yes. it's just awful. Wow, you are the best, Thea. Thank you. This is a really important story, and I love this segment. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much. We got to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Heather Digby Parton and your calls. This is Progress. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know, I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are, too. I've tried so many bras in the past. And the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. 
After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. And welcome back. I'm John Fugelsang. Thanks so much for joining us. Look, I, I, I know how it is. You're, you're, maybe you, Biden wasn't your first or second choice, but you got along, you got on board, had to beat Trump, and then you were pleasantly surprised. Wow. Old Joe Biden is by far the most progressive Joe Biden of all the Joe Bidens we've ever had. Okay, I'm, I'm, in, I'm into this. And then we see these poll numbers. It's very easy to forget how perilously low Bill Clinton and Barack Obama's poll numbers were during their first term as well. But of course, you you got the age issue. You have the overwhelming ignorance of the MAGA people and you have a media culture that really needs a horse race. And, of course, a media that's owned more often than not by people who really miss their Trump size ratings. And you see these polls and it gets really scary. I get it. I understand. Fortunately, our next guest is here to allay your concerns. I am such a big fan of Heather Digby Parton, known as Digby. She's a contributing writer to Salon. She's been called one of the leading and most admired commentators of the liberal progressive blogosphere. She's written great pieces for Salon on the GOP right wing radicalism, Bidenomics and Donald Trump's speed bump and the Ron DeSantis campaign. And of course, that's just in the last week. But I wanted her to come on to talk about this recent piece, The Antidote to Democratic Panic Syndrome, Putting Joe Biden's Poll Numbers in Perspective. It's a great pleasure to welcome back to the show after way too long, the great Heather Digby Parton. Welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. Heather, talk us off this ledge. I mean, it's 14 months before an election. People forget how deeply unpopular both Biden and Clinton were in their first terms. And, and I think a lot of people are forgetting how unpopular killing Roe v. Wade was. Uh, are, <laughs> do you have any concern when you see these polls or are they just kind of designed to make us believe there's a horse race and get non-political nerds to lean in more? Uh, you know, I'm I am a Democratic voter. Um, so, yeah, you know, I panic like everybody else. I get nervous and get that knot in my stomach. But I do try to remember about, you know, all of the things that you just mentioned, that this is something that that tends to happen. I mean, those those days that I mean, I'm old enough to remember when Bill Clinton was absolutely assumed to be a one term president. There was dead no in the water. I remember. Mind. The incredible shrinking president. Absolutely. I mean, this was just, you know, and there was Newt Gingrich, you know, they had pictures of him on the front of Time magazine, practically riding around on the back of an elephant. You know, I mean, it was it was ridiculous. They just there was no way that Bill Clinton could possibly be reelected. And yet, you know, he was. (laughs) And the same, you know, Barack Obama didn't have quite the same, um, you know, amount of assumption that he couldn't win. But everybody was very nervous. There were people talking about primarying him. You know, this was right. things didn't look good at this point in in Barack Obama's first term when he was looking at reelection. They were it's still so trying true. to come out of the the financial crisis, much as Biden and and his administration is trying to recover from the pandemic. And um, there was a lot of nervousness. But I would point out something else. Maybe this will surprise people. Ronald Reagan, at this point in his reelection. Uh, mm-hmm. campaign if, in 1984, he was underwater in approval. I mean, this gets the guy that everybody remembers as being the most popular president in history, right? Everybody right. loved him, and he had a huge landslide in 1984. Fourteen months ahead of that, though, or behind that, he was he was um, underwater in approval. People were not happy. 
things really can change. And as you pointed out, we are in a very unique position here because he's going to be, I mean, to all intents and purposes, my view, I don't know how you feel about this, the Republican, you know, campaign, the nomination for president is is over. Uh, I think Donald Trump, in, barring some unforeseen circumstance, is going to be the nominee. And exactly. he's going to be on trial <laughs> during, oh, yeah. during, the, uh, during the election and, and, you know, during the election campaign. That is pretty, oh, no, it's unprecedented, needless to say, but I think that might just have a tiny effect uh, on whether <laughs> or not people want to come out and, and yeah. vote for someone other than the man who may very well be a convicted felon. And as you say, and I think this is very important, the issues of abortion rights and the assault on democracy are going to are still very much in play. They've been in play in every election, um, starting in 2022, and now we're seeing all the off-year elections are going this way as well, as well as all these ballot initiatives in the states. I just don't feel like anybody should assume that because Joe Biden's poll numbers and the fact that he is old and, you know, it walks stiffly, um, it, that this is, you know, that it's just doom and gloom. I, I, I don't think that's true. It doesn't say that Democrats don't have to work very hard. They do, because it's a closely divided country. It's not going to be like Ronald Reagan in 84 in a landslide. You're so right. Yeah. But it is, it, it is thoroughly doable. And by the way, you know, incumbency itself is tremendously powerful. And something like, I don't know, it's a, uh, in the past 11 elections with incumbent candidates, only four lost their election. This is a mm. very powerful advantage that Joe Biden is going in with. So I think everybody should, you know, of course we're going to be nervous, but everybody should just take a deep breath and recognize that there's, there's a certain pattern here. And every one of these people... Uh, that I mentioned and that you mentioned had a, you know, there were there was an assumption that they they may be in big trouble, if not impossible, for them to to win re-election, and yet they did. So you know, no, it's a, it, it's it's a great point. You know, there are many patterns at play. One of them that I keep falling back on that scares me sometimes is that in, in my lifetime, Heather, we've only seen Democrats elected president after Republicans blow everything up. Jimmy Carter got in because of Watergate. Bill Clinton got in because trickle down finally collapsed. Obama got in because George W. Bush was the worst president of all time. And we know why Biden got in because of who he was following. So I, I get what you're saying about all the parallels between Barack Obama's first term and Joe Biden's. They're they're cleaning up a mess that they inherited. Yeah. And we keep seeing the arsonists heckling the fire department saying you missed a spot from the building I burned down. <laughs> but, you know, Biden is under I mean, Biden's under a, a unique amount of challenges. They they had the inflation. They had the supply chain. They, they managed it. Uh, it. We're not out of the woods on inflation by any means, but we're doing better than any other G7 nation. Gas prices have gone down. But of course, you know, <laughs> The Saudi royal family wants Donald Trump back and they are cutting oil production. And we keep hearing that gas prices are going to skyrocket next year. Joe Biden has always said this, and I'm almost quoting it every night. Don't judge me by the almighty. Judge me against the alternative. Um, How much is Donald Trump a factor in getting this nice old man reelected? Because it seems like if it is Trump who has seven criminal trials between now and the Republican convention, between that 
And of course, women's reproductive freedoms. I mean, young people and women are not going to get bored of being angry about Roe v. Wade being gone. You're right. It's going to be tough. But what do you say to people who really are genuinely scared about the ways the institutions of this country and elsewhere might try to sabotage this guy? I know a lot of media titans would love to have their Trump sized ratings back. Well, that's true. And, you know, in that sense, I I don't blame people for being nervous because, you know, everything has been crazy for the last, what, you know, almost seven years now. It's been completely crazy and been building up to it for the 20 years prior, right? I mean, this isn't, Donald Trump didn't invent this craziness. He just, you know, put it into warp speed when he got in. And yeah, I mean, you feel like anything could happen, right? Things don't feel like, uh, you know, whatever normal was, it no longer is. So I get it. And I totally get why people feel that way and why maybe the precedents don't, you know, don't, have any, you know, particular salience in this particular situation. However, yeah. it's what you say. It's, you know, if, if it was anyone but Donald Trump that is going to be the nominee, I, I think I would be more nervous than I am. Not to say that I think they'd necessarily win, but I think I would be more nervous, even mm. if it was some, you know, complete creep like DeSantis. Um, You're right. Because Although I'm not scared of DeSantis anymore. I was very terrified of him a year ago, but that's that's done. Ooh, boy. Exactly. Me too. He's the last one now on my list that scares me at all. Um, well, can I, can, I, can I scare you with another hypothetical that keeps me up at night? Because you, you point out in this excellent piece of yours in Salon, and I just, I love everything you write, but oh, 73% you. of Americans believe 80-year-old Biden is too old, but only 47% think that 77-year-old Trump is unqualified by his age. That's, that's, that's very scary. There are going to be seven criminal trials over the next year. And what do you think the odds are of that if Trump still sails to the nomination and folks are indifferent to the extensive evidence of his criminality and he will be convicted on some of these counts, he'll appeal everything and try to delay everything. But I've started to become worried about a contested convention that the uh, establishment of the GOP has enough juice left in it that they could try and take this away from Donald Trump and give it to, say, a fresh face like Glenn Youngkin, who seems to, I don't know, I get a strong vibe off Glenn Youngkin that he thinks he's in this race somehow. Well, I get the same vibe off Glenn Youngkin, and certainly, you know, he is the latest great white bread hope of the Republican Party, no (laughs) doubt about it. You know, I mean, the guy in his vest, you know, and for some reason, and I, you know, I grant you, I don't live, I don't live in Virginia or anywhere in the environment, so perhaps I don't know him as well as they do, but Mm. the guy just does not strike me as real. As a real threat, but I could be wrong about that. Nonetheless, you're right. I mean, I, I think that could happen. I think there could be a real push to do that, although I don't think that the base will stand for it. I really don't. I, I mean, I just don't see that fever breaking yet. I, I see no evidence of it. If anything, it, it, they're more febrile than ever. My nightmare is, you know, what are we going to do when they, you know, when Trump inevitably says that the election was stolen again? But, you know, cross that bridge when we come to it, right? I mean, that's a problem for tomorrow. Uh, just winning the election is, is the problem for today. And, and you know, I, I totally understand people being nervous about this. And, you know, the fact is, I mean, Biden is old. I mean, there's no getting around that. He is. And he's kind of stiff and he looks old and, you know, he's old. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, Trump, the only reason people don't think he looks old is because he piles on an inch worth of Thank makeup you. all over his face. Thank you. Dyes his hair. Yeah. 
You know, I yeah. mean, the guy, the guy, he's also looking pretty old. I mean, I've been noticing a lot of, of, of sort of, you know, these, these sort of candid little videos that he, that come out of Mar-a-Lago. And the other Same. day he was with a bunch of bikers there and he was talking and he had a little bit of an Ed Grimley vibe going on, you know, with the, the pants <laughs> kind of hiked up. I mean, yeah. he definitely, he's getting an old man vibe too. So I, it's not that I say that it's a wash, but I have to say, you know, as I said, as I said in my piece, you know, are the American people, going to vote for, you know, an old man who's also a criminal or an old man who's also done a good job as president. I mean, yeah. I have to believe that that we're that we're not so nuts that that we're incapable of making a rational choice w- between those two people. Yeah, and, I, don't, um, I don't know if it's nuts. I, I, it's more amnesia to me. People kind of forget about COVID and the lies we were told and 10% unemployment. And, and of course, I, I agree with you that in a perfect world, we wouldn't be having two men born in World War II era being the standard bearers of the party. Right. I, I do get turned off to the ageism. I, I've said many times, Martin Scorsese and Paul McCartney and Harrison Ford and Carol King are all 80, yeah. and I would vote for any of them to be president tomorrow. <laughs> but I got to ask you, how, how much can we rely, how much fact does the power of incumbency factor into all this? Well, I think the the power of incumbency is really huge, and and you know just it has been for for many many decades. It's just one of those things that there's just a certain kind of I don't know whether or not it's laziness on the part of voters where they kind of figure, hey, you know, I know that guy, I'll vote for him again, and it would, in which case it becomes more of a matter of turnout, right, where you got to push people to actually go out and vote. But I think that most people, you know, they may, yeah, he's too old, but geez, you know, I'm not going to vote for Trump. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. The danger well, Trump looks is, so healthy. Trump looks so healthy, Heather. Yeah. Oh, look at him. Yeah. I mean, he's got, he's trowling on, you know, the the makeup and the Tresemme hairspray, you know, with, with it. I mean, but, you know, it, I, I do think that people, you know, are going to look at that and realize who the two two people are. On the other hand, there are people who are just lazy about this stuff, right? Who just go, eh, that's you what know, I'm whatever. Talking about. Yeah. You know, who cares? But that's where the issues like abortion rights and this assault on democracy and hopefully the the economic situation, you know, we've got to yet you're right about the the Saudis, you know, stepping in to help to, to provide some election interference for for Trump this time. But, you know, presumably, you know, maybe I mean, this it worked for Ronald Reagan. Within 14 right. months, there is time to make the case that things have turned around from the pandemic and Biden can, will get some credit for it. But so, you know, you kind of have to That's hope that people will come out and will vote on the basis of the negative partisanship, which I think is really what what our elections are all about right now, because the Republicans are crazy and, you know, they just they they, they think the Democrats are the enemy and we know the Republicans are have lost their minds. So yeah, you know that's what, yeah. that's what's driving elections. And uh, I just feel like like it, you know, it's going to be hard work, and it's not going to be a runaway election. It would be great if it was, because then it would maybe put them down a little bit and make yeah. them understand that this stuff isn't working. But I have a feeling we're just still in the, you know, we're still in the vortex. Of, oh, this, uh, of this <laughs> lunacy and that just, we're just going to have to it's, it's a hand-to-hand combat and we're just going to have to fight it out and, and win. And I do think if you look at what's happening in the swing states, that's another issue that people have to think about. Um, it's not looking good for Trump in those swing states that, that yeah. uh, were close in the last time. I think things have actually 
shifted in those states. I mean, you're looking at places like, you know, Pennsylvania and Michigan. There's a battle going on in Wisconsin, which I think may blow back on Republicans to such an extent that that state is going to be good. Look what's happening in Georgia. You know, I'm not sure that Trump even in a, you know, in a close election that he's going to be able to, to pull it off in the states that he needs to do it. So It's really true. I mean, Trump literally has criminal trials beginning on Super Tuesday and the day of the Iowa caucus. Heather Digby Parton, <laughs> it is always a great joy to have you on our show. Thank you so much. I do feel better about this. And let's see how much infrastructure spending and the uh, Inflation Reduction Act programs kick in and make a yep. positive impact over the next 12 months. That's the factor that no one's thought about. Sometimes, absolutely, you know, the good news has to catch up with the economy. Absolutely. And and I feel fairly confident that that is going to happen. I mean, things are moving. You can feel it already. What is the best way for our listeners to keep up with you, Heather, in all your work? Well, I'm at Digby56 on... um the, what we used to call Twitter. Uh, we I, still call it. You can you can dead name it here. We still call it. Okay, Twitter. good. <laughs> I'm going to dead name it Twitter. Um, and uh, then I, I'm at Salon on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And uh, I'm on my own blog, digbeastblog.net. I write there seven days a week, so you can Brilliant. catch me all the time. I'm around. So great to have you back. Day. This this platform is always open to you. We'd love to have you back more often. Oh, thanks. Thank you so I really much. enjoyed it. Thank you. Great. Well, I'll I'll disturb your West Coast evenings more often then. Have a great evening. Thank you.